If you have a Bible, open up to John chapter 1. That's where we're going to be tonight, John chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we're going to cover a ton of ground tonight, so it would really, really help for you to have a Bible in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right there in front of you. I'll actually give you the page number if you're using that one. We're on page 886. That's where John 1 is. If you don't own a Bible, we would love to give you one tonight. There are stacks at the back two doors here of paperback Bibles. Please grab one of those on the way out, and, and that's our gift to you guys. Uh, and you've, you've come at a great time. We're starting a study of John. We're going to be in this gospel from now until, until May. And so we're going to be here for a while. Uh, we did that on purpose so that you guys can jump in and, and, and begin to sort with us through this, this gospel. Uh, my name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and I absolutely love the gospel of John. It was the gospel of John about 15 years ago uh, that absolutely transformed my life. Uh, it was this gospel, and it was actually uh, in a dorm Bible study. And so what you just saw um, up here... Uh, the people that are in the landing. It was actually one of those 15 years ago uh, where I went to school that absolutely just transformed my life. Uh, I was a church kid. I was a Christian. I, I knew the stories. And uh, uh, my freshman year of college, I got into a group of guys who were just studying the Gospel of John together in a dorm room. Uh, and it, it, it just absolutely just breathed life into me. And so one of the things we're praying for uh, is that more and more of these things will happen. We're so proud of of uh, what, what Simon and, and Richard and Teresa and Madeline are doing in the landing. Uh, we're, we're praying that, that, that we'll look down the road and see every floor of every dorm uh, covered with a little church uh, that meets on that, that, in that dorm. And so we're praying for that. We'd love for you to join us uh, in praying for that. Uh, we believe that church isn't a building or an hour on Sunday. It's a group of Christ-centered community uh, on mission for him. And so we're just praying that that happens here. We pray that it happens across the campus and we know that it works because God used that to transform my life. Uh, he used this Gospel of John. And so uh, what I hope to do tonight as we read through John 1 is just to show you and, and just to introduce you to this Gospel. That uh, for me, when I read back through it, even having known the story for a long time, uh, just breathed life into me. Uh, so I want to pray for us tonight. I want to pray that, that God will, will speak to us through this. Uh, and I just want us to ask for God to show up tonight and to open our eyes and to open our hearts to hear His Word. Please, please pray with me. Father, as we open your word tonight, uh, you're under absolutely no obligation to speak to us. You are God and we are your creation. And so you reveal yourself to us because you want to. You reveal yourself to us because you want us to know you. And so we come here not entitled, not uh, demanding you to speak. We come begging for your word. We, come that we, pr we pray that you will come and pour out your grace and your mercy and your love through your spirit upon this place like rain that we would be hungry and thirsty for you, that, that we would have the same hunger and thirst for you that we have for the food that we eat and the water we drink. Father, we need you to do that. We need your spirit to create that in us. And so as we open up the Gospel of John tonight, we do so longing to know you. We do so because we want to understand who you are, and we pray that you'll just go to work in us. I, I believe that in this passage you have something very direct to say to us. And so open our ears to hear that. Father, I pray that you will block out all distractions all around this room, the things that hold us back from hearing you. May, may we give those to you now. Just, just take a second. The things that are distracting to you now, I want you just to take a second, and wherever you sit, as you sort through those things in your mind, I just want you to give them to God now and say, God, these are the things that keep me from hearing you, and I, I'm going to give them to you now. I just want you to take a second now to, to receive what God has told us that he's given us in Christ, that he gives us grace and mercy 
that he gives us forgiveness. Just, just take a second to, to thank God for the things that he tells us that he gives us in Christ. And now I just want uh, to, to encourage you to ask God to speak tonight to your heart, to, to the situations you face. Just take a second and, and tell God, God, I want to hear you tonight. I want to know you more, and I want your word uh, to be made alive in me. And so just, just take a second to ask God, just speak into my life tonight, God. Father, we thank you. That, that you want to speak to us. We pray that you do it now. Father, I pray that you get me out of the way. Your word is powerful, and Lord, you don't need any man to explain you. And so we pray that you will speak now and that, that you will teach us more about who you are. Open our eyes to your truth, and Lord, change our lives. We want to, we want to know you more. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Terrible timing. I'm sorry. That's bad. The, the phone ring there. Maybe, maybe it was God. You asked him to speak. Maybe he called. Uh, John 1. John chapter 1. Uh, last week, Terrell just began this series, and he pointed out that, that John tells us at the end of his gospel why he wrote his gospel. Uh, at the end of John's gospel, we're going to be in this until May, like I said, so we'll get to this verse eventually. But at the very end of his gospel, this guy named John is writing this, and he actually tells us why he was writing it. Uh, John was a guy who spent time with Christ. He was a disciple of Christ while Jesus was on the earth. And then uh, towards the end of his life, he sat down and he began to write this gospel, this account of what he saw in the person of Jesus. And then at the end of his gospel, after he's described Jesus and explained Jesus as best he can, he says this. He says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so this is John's goal for us, and we're going to see this throughout this study of John, that John writes the things he writes in his gospel because, one, he wants us to see Jesus more clearly. He's saying, I, I got to spend these three years on the earth with Jesus. I got to, to see him and to watch him as he, as he spoke and as he healed and as he performed miracles. I, I want you just to see what I saw. I want you to experience what I saw in Christ. And when you do that, I want you to find life in his name. I want you to understand that, that when you clearly see Jesus, when you understand who he was and, and what he did and what he offers you, you're going to discover life in a way that you've never seen it before. And so this is John's goal for us, that, that we will see Jesus and that we will find life in him. And so last week, Terrell just opened up and he really dug into this idea of beliefs. He really just dug into this idea that, that right, right beliefs lead us to right actions and right affections, that, that our lives should begin with right belief. And that in John's gospel, he wants us to have right beliefs. See, so often we get it backwards, our, our emotions really dictate uh, what we want to believe. And so we start with emotions and affections, and then hopefully somehow weave beliefs into it. Tara laid out last week for us that we should be begin with our beliefs. What is true? What, what is this all about? And, and then this belief begins to lead to our actions and our affections being changed. And, and so last week, Tara uh, led off for us in John 1 and just laid out this idea that belief, and, and, and rightly so, right belief leads to life. So when we believe and understand the right things, it leads to life. What I want to do tonight in the rest of John 1 is ask this question, belief in what? And so John tells us that belief leads to life, but I want to just pick up and ask the question, okay, so what is it that we're to believe that leads to life? John said that that's our, his goal for us, that, that we find life in his name, but what is it that we're to believe that leads us into life? And what we're going to see in John 1, John is going to present two foundational beliefs 
that he's going to come back to time and time again through his gospel. And he's saying these two beliefs, these two themes over and over again lead you to life. That as you understand these things more, you understand life more. As you understand Christ in these ways more and more, your life begins to make sense. In essence, John is telling us that the more we grasp and orient our lives around these two foundational ideas, the more life becomes to be just breathed into me, breathed into us, the same way it was for me 15 years ago. And so I want to just look at these foundational truths that lead to life. We're, gonna, we're actually going to finish John 1 tonight. Uh, if you don't know this, we're actually reading through this together. And so if you go onto our website, there's a little devotional that, that uh, you can read every day that kind of walks you through the passage. If you're coming here, it's going to be like trying to drink out of a fire hydrant. We're going to cover so much stuff that it's kind of going to blow you away. And so I'm going to finish John 1 tonight. Uh, Terrell and I split this, but somehow it ended up Terrell took 13 verses and I've got like 50. So we're going to try to make that happen, try to finish it. That's my encouragement to you guys though, to be reading along with us. Next week we're going to be in John 2. Uh, there's a series of devotionals that will be online for John 2. And uh, we want you to dig in this with us and not just come and, and hear it preached. We want you to be really interacting with this, this, this text. And so, John, I'm going to pick up in John 1 uh, verse 14 as, as John just begins to lay out for us these two foundational truths that, that lead us into life. So John 1 14, he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of only the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He, being Jesus, has made him known. And so really for the first uh, 18 verses here, Terrell's picked up on it last week, but up until verse 18, there's one thought that, that John is trying to plant in our minds and trying to get us to see the fullness of, and it's this truth that the Word became flesh. It's this foundational truth that the Word became flesh. John is telling us that the more that we believe and orient our lives around this truth, that the Word became flesh, the more we find life the more we begin to understand and orient our lives around this idea that the Word became flesh, the more that becomes a reality in my life, the more I find life. That's what John is trying to do as he begins his gospel. And So I want to just take a few seconds to unpack that idea that the Word became flesh and then the rest of what he just said in those verses. Um, it's, it's a strange phrase, is it not? The Word became flesh. Um, what he means by that is the eternal God the God who has always existed became a man. That's what he means by the phrase, the word became flesh. That the eternal God took on flesh and became one of us. And so the question that that begs is, why didn't he just say that? If John means the eternal God who's always existed became a man, why did he say the word became flesh? It seems somewhat confusing. That, that statement seems more confusing than just saying God became a man. See, see, this is a, the claim that, that John is making here. Uh, he's really trying to explain it in, in a pretty incredible way. John is writing to a, a Greek culture, a Greek audience. And the Greeks had this idea of God as the creator, but as one who didn't care about anything that we did. And so according to the Greek conception of God, God was a creator God. He, he started all this, and he, he wound up this system, and then he kind of let it spin, and then he just stepped out. And so this was the Greek understanding of what God was like. There was a creator, but the creator didn't care anything about what happened. He was letting this thing just spin and spin and spin, and eventually it was going to blow up, and he didn't care. That was their idea of God. 
They called that logos. It's the Greek word, the word. So their understanding, their explanation of God, it was this idea called logos. It just means word or reason. And they would talk all the time about this idea of the logos, the creator God who started all this. And so John here is taking their word. Do you understand that? When he says the word, he's saying logos. In the Greek it says logos became flesh. He's taking their idea of a distant and uncaring God and saying this God that you think created and doesn't care, he actually does care. He actually cares so much that this Logos God became one of us. He took on flesh and walked with us. See, Paul wants us to understand that there is a God that created, but there's also a God, the same God, who took on flesh and became one of us because he cares about us. That that he's relational and that he wants to be with us. He wants to, to save us and to step into our lives. And so he just says this beautiful phrase, the word became flesh. The the word, this this idea of logos, is not an impersonal force, but this is a personal God. He's not distant from us. In fact, he's so close that he he chose to become one of us. He took on flesh and became a man. So do you see how life-giving that truth is? Do you see how life-giving the truth is that Jesus came to show us what God is like, and he came to show us that God cares, that that we have a God who didn't create and then just let it all play out. We, We have a God who didn't just create this and, and, and see what would happen. We have a God who created this, and then as sin came and destroyed what his original intention was, he steps back in, and he's the solution. He steps back in and becomes flesh. He entered into our mess. He, he suffered with us and eventually died for us. And it's just this message that the Word became flesh. This Creator God cares. He cares so much that he became one of us to suffer with us. And so there's this first idea that John begins to unpack here. He's going to come back to this over and over and over again. In fact, the gospel of John is really set around seven miracles. Seven times he's going to talk about how God's glory was shown through Christ. That, that, That Christ came and showed us what God was like. And he says here in these first verses that he showed us his glory and his grace and his truth. If you were here this morning, we talked about this a little bit, that, that Christ came and took on flesh to show us what God was like, and he showed us, first of all, his glory, that God is one of incomprehensible splendor, and that as they saw the things that he did and heard the things that he said, people were just blown away by it. They'd never seen anything like it, that, that he was one that was full of glory, and then he says that he was full of grace. That word means unmerited favor, that Christ came to show us that God was one who gave unmerited favor. That means he gave favor that you don't have to earn, which is incredible news for those of you who keep trying to earn it. God is saying, I sent my son because I knew you'd never be good enough. I sent my son because I knew that there was nothing you could do to to make yourself look pretty for me, that that my favor and and my love for you isn't based on what you're doing for me. It's based on who I am. So, So the word became flesh, and it showed us glory. It showed us grace, and it shows us truth. It shows us the reality of who we are and who he is. And so this idea that the word became flesh, it's a life-changing truth. That the eternal God, the creator of all, came and, and walked among us. And this is what separates Christianity from every other religion. Every other religion is a story of what can man do to climb the mountain? What can man do to, to somehow be good enough to, uh, to, to somehow earn God's presence? And if you listen to religions talk, it's this story of what can we do to climb this mountain and eventually earn the right to be in front of God. And you see what this is, the claim of John here is that that, that God actually came down the mountain to us. That it's not us making our way up through our good works, it's Christ coming in the midst of our bad works and dying for us. That the word became 
flesh. He became one of us. And so this is this first fundamental truth. We're going to come back to this uh, a lot throughout John, that, that Christ shows us what God's like, that, that he be, took on flesh and, and walked among us, and instead of judging us, took our judgment upon himself to show us who God was and to show, God, to show us what God is like. Uh, that, that's a pretty earth-shattering truth. Maybe for a lot of you it's not because you've heard it all your life. But the idea that the creator God would become one of us, think about that. That is an insane claim that the creator God would become a man and end up dying on a cross. The the word became flesh. It's this truth that John's going to keep bringing us back to because he says the more you believe that, the more you apply that to your life, the more you find life. This is where life is found. So the word became flesh. The the second truth is, uh, I think, almost as unbelievable. It's unbelievable that God would become a man. It's almost more unbelievable that God would choose to weave us into his story throughout this story. So if you've ever read through John chapter 1, it's kind of confusing because John uh, writes in a way that is, is confusing. He actually, uh, as he begins his, his writing in John 1, he talks about Jesus for a little bit, then he skips to this guy named John the Baptist in the next paragraph. Then in the next paragraph, he goes back to Jesus, then he skips back to John the Baptist, and then he speaks a little bit more about Jesus, and then he speaks a little bit more about John the Baptist, and then he's going to weave in three or four other guys. Uh, if you were an English teacher, what grade would you give John, John here? You fail, right? This is terrible, right? The, the theme isn't clear. He's skipping around. Like if you were to look at this from, a, from an English standpoint, there's no central main idea. It just skips from Jesus to John to Jesus to John from, to Jesus back to John. It's just kind of we, weaved together in this strange way. And so as you read through this, we, we believe that Scripture is breathed by the Holy Spirit. And so he meant for it to be that way. This isn't a mistake. The question is, why is it laid out in such a way? And, and the answer is this second fundamental truth. That, that throughout creation, not only did God become a man, but God has chosen to weave us into his story. And, and he weaves us into the story, beginning with the story of, of Christ, the creator who's become a man. And then he says, John the Baptist is a part of this. And then he talks about Jesus again. And he, he goes back to these, these men that he has used throughout history. And so uh, I want us just to talk about this for a minute. We're going to read the rest of John 1. And I just want you to see how God just begins to weave broken, imperfect men into his story for his glory. Because he wants to. He, he wants us to be a part of, of this story that he is telling and that he has always told. He's going to introduce us to five guys. I'm going to read through this and just tell you a little bit about them. And then we're going to spend some time here just looking deeper into this idea that God desires to weave us back into this, this story. So let's pick up verse 19 and just start reading through this. Uh, it says, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one who you do not know, and even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And so I want to introduce you to these five guys. I know that there is a ton to unpack. This is why I hope you're reading this on on your own and and reading the devotionals along with it. Uh, But we meet these five guys, and the first guy is this man known as John the Baptizer. Uh, John the Baptizer is a different guy than John who writes the gospel. 
So that's a little bit confusing. John is not the guy who wrote this gospel. There's a guy named John the Baptizer. You may have heard him as John the Baptist. Uh, he wasn't denominationally Baptist. He was a baptizer. He baptized people. And so just to clear that up, he was a man who baptized. Uh, up until that point, uh, Jewish people were baptized when they went to the temple to make a sacrifice. So it wasn't a one-time thing. It was a, every time I come to the temple to come before God, I recognize that I'm dirty, and I recognize that I need to be, need to be cleansed. And so I'm going to, to get into a tub and, and baptize myself and essentially symbolically ask God to wash away the impurity in my body. And, and so John comes along, and, and he's this guy that if you read through the scriptures, he's described in a really weird way. He, he dressed weird, and he ate locusts, and just this weird guy lived in the wilderness. And he comes along, and he starts making these claims. He begins going from town to town saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and he goes from town to town, and that's his message, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, repent there means change your mind. So he's going from village to village, and his message is, repent, change your mind. The kingdom of God is at hand. See, the, the Old Testament had predicted a man who would come and save the world from our sin. He was called the Messiah. And the Old Testament also predicted that there would be a man who came before the Messiah to prepare the way. And, and John the baptizer was this man. He came before Christ to go city to city. And all he was saying was, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The, the time is at hand. Change your mind. Change your mind about who God is. Change your mind about who you are. And we're told that people were flocking to him and being baptized, a baptism of repentance. In other words, they were saying, we need a Savior. And so baptize us is a symbolism for that. And so John was baptizing all these people, so much so that, that the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, heard about him. And they're asking, who is this guy that, that, is, that all these people are going to the wilderness to see? And, and John was, uh, they, they came to John and asked him the question, are you the Christ? You see, they were expecting the Christ as well. Are you the Messiah? And you, you see his answer there is, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one that's come to prepare the way for the Messiah. So his ministry created quite a buzz. Many were going and being baptized. The religious leaders were, were investigating him because all these people were, were going to him and listening to him. And they asked him, are you the Messiah? And he says, no, but the Messiah is coming. The, the Messiah is coming. I'm just here to prepare the way for the Messiah. And then we're told one day the Messiah came and, and John met him. Look at verse 29. The Messiah shows up. Jesus shows up to John. It says, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a beautiful statement. John sees Christ walking up and says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. And so John is here, and, and the other Gospels tell us that John is baptizing all these people, and then one day Jesus walks up. And we're told that, that Jesus actually asked John to baptize him. Imagine that. Jesus walks up to John and says, I want to be baptized, and John feels really weird about it, but he doesn't want to argue with Jesus, and so finally he, he baptizes him, and, and Mark chapter 1 tells us, when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately John saw the heavens being torn open. So John baptizes Jesus, the minute he baptizes him, John sees the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. 
See, John had been waiting for the Messiah all of his life, and immediately John knew exactly who Jesus was. This was the Messiah that we've been waiting on. This was the Word made flesh. And, and look at his words. He, he recognizes immediately who Jesus is, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's saying, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one we've been praying for. This is the one for, for, that, that Israel has been looking to for thousands of years. We've been waiting for the one who would come and take care of our sin, and this is the one. He says, this is the one who baptizes not just with water. This is the one that baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So in other words, John is saying, I've been baptizing you symbolically. This is the one who's bringing the Holy Spirit and baptizing with the Holy Spirit. His baptism is different from mine. This is the Son of God. That, that's John's testimony. And so we'll come back to those claims in a minute, but this is the first man that God just begins to weave into his story, this, this man named John the Baptizer, a, a weird, bug-eating guy, kind of a hippie from the wilderness named John the Baptist. And, and God in his sovereignty says, I want this guy to be a part of my story. As I tell the story of the word becoming flesh, I want John in there. I want John the Baptist, this, this man, to be a part of it. Uh, and then as we keep reading, John's going to actually introduce a few of his disciples, a few of his men to Jesus as well. This is a, a beautiful interaction. Look at verse 35. A few more guys get weaved into this story. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And so what you need to understand is all rabbis, all teachers had disciples. It was basically like an intern or an, or an apprentice. Uh, if there was a good teacher, there were usually men that were following them for a number of years to learn from them. And so John the Baptist had some disciples, and it says, verse 35, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him for that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And so we see these two other guys begin to be weaved into this story. The first one was named Andrew. And we're told that Andrew was one of the two disciples of John the Baptist. So he had been with John the Baptist for a while, and you can, you can see how this story played out. That John the Baptist was, was saying to, to his disciples, to everyone who listened, the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming, and it's almost as if he had told his disciples, when Jesus comes, don't stay with me anymore. When Jesus comes, you don't need me anymore, you need to go with him. And so this is what a good discipler does. A good discipler points you to Jesus. He says, don't stay with me anymore, go and, and be with, with Jesus, follow Jesus. And so Andrew uh, leaves John the Baptist, and it says that he and his brother, we, we, think his, we, we think the other man with him was John, the author of this gospel. They begin to, to, to walk with Jesus and to be with Jesus and to understand more of who Jesus is. And so God just weaves Andrew into this story through his mentor. His mentor says, you need to understand who Jesus is. You, you need to follow Jesus. This is the one we've been waiting for. Uh, we know a few things about Andrew. He was a fisherman by trade, and he was the son of a wealthy businessman who had started this really successful fishing operation. And, and you notice that the minute he found Jesus, the minute that he saw the Messiah, he left it all. The minute that he found Jesus, he, he believed that, 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 that Jesus offered him so much more life than, than, his, than his business did. So he leaves his business, and he follows Christ. And then we're told that he does what people who've been found do. What, what does he go do? 
the minute he understands who Jesus is, he goes and tells Simon Peter. Uh, and Andrew here is the first evangelist. He's the first one to share the good news of Christ. He runs and finds his brother Simon Peter and tells him, we found the Messiah. We found the one we've been waiting for. See, you can see that they've been expecting this. The, the nation of Israel, generation after generation, prayed for the Messiah to come. And so Andrew runs to his brother Simon Peter and says, we found the Messiah. Uh, Simon was also a fisherman, and God weaves Simon into this story through his brother Andrew as Andrew runs up and tells him, we found the Messiah, and, and brings him to Jesus. And so Peter is curious, and he goes and looks and, and finds Jesus and finds life in a new way, so much so that he too leaves everything behind. He says, listen, I've found life. I've found the Messiah. I'm going to be with him. I want to see who he is. And we're told there in, in verse 42 that, that uh, Simon comes to Jesus, and Jesus just looks at, at Simon and says, you are, the, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Uh, Cephas is an Aramaic word that means rock. He, he gives him a cool nickname here, Rocky. He says, you are going to be Rocky. You're going to be Peter. That's the Greek for it. But you're going to be called the rock. And, and I'm sure that made, made Peter curious. What in the world does that mean? It, it, we're going to find out later on in, in John. He's going to start to tell him, you're the rock upon which I'm going to build my church. My, my church is going to be founded on you and your, your leadership and the way that you lead this thing forward when I'm gone. And so Simon Peter is weaved into this story through his brother who comes and finds him and tells him about Christ. And then look at verse 43. A few more guys get weaved into the story. It says, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. So he goes to this man named Philip, and Jesus just makes the claim, follow me. Verse 44 says, now Philip was, was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the, uh, and, the, and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Kind of freaky, right? Before, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we meet these last two guys in John 1. We meet this guy named Philip. Philip, we're told, was from the same hometown as Andrew and Peter, and they likely knew each other. It was this, this small town called Bethsaida. And Philip is weaved into this story by Jesus himself. We're told that Jesus just walks up and says, follow me, and he does. He simply walks up and says, follow me, and Philip walks away from whatever his life w was like. We, we really don't know too much about Philip's background but he was likely a friend of Andrew and Peter, and we know that he was waiting for the Messiah. And you can see that in the statement that he makes. He says, this is the one that the law and the prophets spoke of. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying that all of the Old Testament pointed us towards Christ, and he's finally here. All that Moses wrote and all that the prophets wrote about were, were pointing us to this day, and now this day is here, that the, the Messiah has come. And so when he heard about it, he, he, he met Jesus, and he dropped everything to follow. And then he goes and meets this guy named Nathaniel. He has this friend named Nathaniel, and I, I like Nathaniel uh, because Nathaniel does what I think most of us would do if some guy came up to us and told us, follow me. It's a little bit weird that Philip, we, we don't know the background too much, but Jesus just walks up to Philip, and the way it reads is some guy walks up to Philip who Philip doesn't know and says, follow me. And Philip's like, all right, let's go. 
That's just this weird, like, how in the world does that happen? Does, does he not have questions? Does he not check how, does, how do we know that Jesus is who he says he is? And so I like Nathaniel because Nathaniel's the skeptic. Nathaniel hears this and, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Uh, Nazareth was kind of a podunk, uh, just kind of a small place where the, the people there believed nothing good came out of. So it would be like for us, can anything good come out of Oklahoma? Right? If we, anybody from Oklahoma? I'm sorry. I apologize. Sorry about that. Nothing, no offense. No offense. But it would be similar to us saying, the Messiah can't come from Oklahoma. There, there's no way. Right? There's no, that's what's going through Nathaniel's mind. Nazareth, how can the Messiah come from Nazareth. Sorry if I offended Oklahoma people. I'll, I'll, we, we can pray later. I'll, I'll, I'll apologize to you. So Nathaniel is a skeptic. How can anything come good come out of Nazareth? But he says, I'm, I'm going to go look anyway. And so the story plays out that he walks up, and the minute that he walks up, Jesus just has this line waiting for him. Behold, an Israelite indeed. You hear what he's saying? Oh, here's the Israelite from the big city. Here's the true Israelite. I know I'm from Nazareth. I know I'm not a true Israelite like you are, the city boy, but here's a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And you can see that Nathaniel's like, man, who in the world is this guy? H- how does he know? Is, is, was that a sarcastic jab? Was that, what is Jesus talking about? And it says that Nathaniel looks at him and says, how do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus just looks back at him and he says, hey, do you remember earlier today when you were sitting under the fig tree? And Nathaniel's like, yeah, I, I do. And Jesus is like, yeah, I, I saw you. I wasn't there, but I saw you. And, and do you remember the thoughts you had under the fig tree? Yeah, I know those. I, I know those thoughts. And you see Nathaniel immediately just says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus just says, are, are you impressed with my fig tree trick? Did that impress you? And he says, if that impressed you, wait, because you're going to see angels ascending and descending on the son of God. You're going to see way more than that. See, Nathaniel is weaved into this story by his friend. Philip introduces him, and we just see these five guys who are weaved into this story, God weaving them in and choosing to use them, not because he needed them, but because he wanted them. And see, this is where it gets beautiful for us. God has brought us into this story, and God has included us in this, not because he needs us, but because he wants us. And that's a beautiful thing because uh, for me, I, I can understand this best by thinking about the way that I was as a kid with my dad. Uh, my dad's a veterinarian, and so uh, he would all the time get calls after hour that he needed to go out and fix a cow. I guess you don't fix a cow, but do something to a cow or a dog or a cat. And he would come get me or my brother out of bed, and he would take us with him. And as a, as a kid, I always thought, man, dad is so lucky to have me. If dad didn't have me, this cat would die for sure. But now that dad has me, we're going to save this cat together. And so we would go out there, and we would, we would do surgery on a cat, and we would sometimes save it. Sometimes it would die, and that was sad, and I would cry a lot. But at the time, uh, my thought was, man, Dad needs me. Dad, Dad really needs me. If I wasn't here, my dad would be in a lot of trouble. As time has gone on, what, what I realize now is that, that really all that I was doing was slowing my dad down and making more of a mess. Like if I wouldn't have been there, the cat probably would have lived, Right? I probably am responsible for many cats' deaths, and I'm, I feel bad for that. But, but all I was really doing was slowing my dad down and making more of a mess than he would have made by himself. And so why was I there? I was there because my father wanted to be with me. Not because he needed my help, but because he wanted me to be with him. And I think a lot of us as Christians, we have this assumption that God has weaved us into this story because he really needs us. Like God, he's big and he's powerful, but he really needs me to kind of come along and fix things. 
And so, man, he's lucky that we were born, and he was lucky that our generation is going to come along, and all the wrongs of the world we're going to make right. And God is looking down on us as a father saying, you know what, in actuality, you're going to slow me down. In actuality, you're going to make more of a mess than if I were just to do this by myself, but I'm your father, and I want to be with you. And I've weaved you into this story because I love you, and and I want to spend time with you, and I want you to know who, who I am. See, this is the heart of the Father, that he weaves us into his story because he wants us, not because he needs us. And once you get over the thought that God needs me, your life's going to become a lot more happy, a lot more free. Because God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He, he wants to use you, and he wants to work through you, mainly because he wants just to, to, to know you and to be with you and to understand your heart. And so, so God just weaves these, these people into his story, and he weaves you and I into his story. And it's just this incredible truth that if we understand the word became flesh, God became a man. And, and not only that, but he chose to weave us into his story, not because he needs us, but because he wants us. The freedom and the life that that begins to just breathe into us. That, that our days begin to take on a new meaning, and, and our, our jobs begin to look different, and our neighborhoods begin to look different, because we realize the Word became flesh, and then He in, in, invited me in to the story, to understand Him, and to love Him, and to find life in Him, and then to go and to share with others the life that I've found. And so, so what I want to do is just take a second here as we close up. I want to just, just point out just four things that I think weave this together, four marks of a person that God uses. And, and, and these people, these five guys were so different, but there are these four marks of, of a person that God uses that I want us just to sit and, and think about. If you're a note taker, you can write these down and, and hopefully pray about them and meditate on them a little bit. But there are these four marks that I, I think we need to talk about. One, there's this absolute knowledge of our need for a Savior. God uses people and God works in the lives of people who have an absolute knowledge of their need for a Savior. See, we, you notice that as different as these guys were, they were all looking for the Messiah. As different as all these guys were, they knew that their only hope was a Savior. They had read the Old Testament and they had understood from Genesis 3 on, our hope is not that we become so good that God is impressed. Our hope is that God's going to send somebody to deal with the mess we've made. That was their hope. They were keenly aware of their need. And, and this is where I think our culture and a lot of us are in, a gr- in great danger. Um, our anthropology basically is mankind is pretty good. Mankind is pretty good, and, and so I, I don't think we really understand our need for a Savior. We, we, most of us think, I'm a pretty good person, but I've done some bad stuff. And so I'm glad Jesus came and died for that bad stuff. And Scripture tells us that, that we're not pretty good people who have done some bad stuff. It says that, that our hearts are wretched and, and evil and wicked, and that we're rebellious towards him. And so that there's this, this understanding that if God is going to use me, it starts with this idea that I absolutely need a Savior. I absolutely need God coming down to me and, and saving me. And so this is why John the Baptist, his first words when he saw Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John realized, I'm being used and I'm baptizing people, but my deepest need is the Lamb of God, the one who's going to be sacrificed on my behalf to take away my sins and to take away the sin of the world. See, see, John knows immediately why Jesus was there, that he's God's Lamb. He's God's sacrifice to deal with sin once and for all. And So in order for you to be a person that God uses, there, there has to be this absolute knowledge of your need for a Savior. Your only hope to be made right with God is Jesus. I want you to understand that. Your only hope to be made right with a holy and perfect God is Jesus. If your answer to why you are right with God or why you will get to heaven is anything that, that you are doing or have done, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Because the, the, the scripture tells us that we are made right with God based on Jesus' goodness, not our own. 
So if we're going to be people that God uses, it starts with this absolute knowledge for our need for a Savior. These men absolutely knew that they needed a Savior, and they were waiting for Him and, and hoping in Him and, and trusting in Him. Two, there, there's this willingness to leave everything to follow Jesus. And I love it that when, when people come to Jesus and see Jesus, they're willing to let go of these things in order to follow Him. Because it, it just makes sense that these people have been waiting for the Messiah, and the minute they see Him, they're like, man, why would I stay fishing? Why would I keep fishing when I've seen God in the flesh? And so it just makes sense that, that these people see the Messiah and they say, man, I'm letting go of everything that holds me back from, from following him. See, see, God uses us more and more as we make him Lord over every area of our life. As we make him Lord over, over every area of our life, God begins to use us more and more and more. And so the question that this begs for us is, what is it that I'm holding on to? What is it that I look to and that I hold on to and that I follow Jesus in these areas, but I'm not willing to let go of these other things? See, I, I've come to realize that most people negotiate with Jesus. We, we try to make these deals. Where we these, uh, these, these deals with God where we say, I'll follow you if you give me the right boyfriend or girlfriend. I'll, I'll follow you if my, my grades stay good and, and you help me pass this test. I'll follow you if I get the right job. I'll follow you if I'm healthy and happy. And what you need to understand is if you're making an if statement with God, the if statement is your God. That's your Lord. Because what you're saying is, as long as this thing's happening, then I'll worship. But if it's not, you're not Lord anymore. And so I want you to, to dig into these areas of where am I making these if statements with God? That I'll follow you if, the if is your real God. That the if is where you're finding your value and finding your worth. And until you can say, I love you and I want this, but even if I don't get this, you're still better. You're better than a relationship. You're better than a job. You're better than my health. You're, you're better than all of that. And so there's this willingness to leave everything and follow Jesus. Third, there's this decision to follow, follow Jesus by faith despite still having questions. And I, I love the fact that uh, as we read about the disciples, do you notice how little these guys know about Jesus when they follow him? Do, do you realize how many questions they had to have when they started following Christ? And if you, if you continue to read this story, as we read through John, the more they follow Christ, the more questions they have. And so they're, they're on day one of following Christ, and they have no idea that the cross is coming. They're, they're on day one of following Christ. They have no idea that for three years Jesus is going to be with them, then he's going to leave. And so they have these questions, and, and they decide that they're going to follow anyway. See, for a lot of us, we, we've decided that as long as all my questions are answered, then I'll follow Christ. That once Jesus answers all my questions about creation and about the Bible and about all these things, then I'll follow. See, these guys knew really two things. They knew that they needed a Savior. They knew that they were sinful and broken and empty, and they knew that Christ claimed to be him. He said, hey, I'm, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one that will wrong, uh, that will make all the wrongs right. I'm the one that will heal your brokenness. And so they knew that they needed a Savior, and they knew that Christ claimed to be him, and so they let go of everything to follow him. Still had a ton of questions. And so your questions are okay, your questions are normal. My, my question for you is, do you have these secondary questions that are keeping you from the primary issue of who Christ is and what he's calling you to? That, that he invites you to himself and he invites you to life. That these guys that, that Christ used, they, they had decided to follow Christ despite still having questions. Uh, on a side note, you're, you're going to have questions when you die. All, every single one of these guys, every single uh, guy and, and, and girl that you see in scripture that God uses, they die still with questions. And so you, you kind of have to get used to the idea that I'm never going to understand it all, but I, I can't understand who Christ is and what he's done for me. Uh, the fourth thing is this, and then we'll pray and, and be done. Uh, the people that God uses, there's this desire to find your God-given task and perform it by depending on God's power for God's glory. 
these men were all completely different, and they lived completely different lives. And once they understood who Christ was, they said, man, I want to find my God-given task in life, and I want to depend on God to empower me, and I want to use it for his glory. So all these guys, as we read through John, we're going to see him bringing them into the story and then using them in completely different ways. That they found life, and they got to know Jesus more, and then they understood what their lives were all about, and then they lived and died to fulfill their purpose. That they lived and died proclaiming that Christ is Lord. And so my question for you is, have you found life and purpose in Jesus? Until you find him, your creator, you're going to struggle to know what you were created for. But as you get to know the word who became flesh, your life and your purpose begin to make sense. You begin to find life. You begin to, to, to find this specific task that God has called you to and that he's invited you into because he wants you, not because he needs you. And you can begin to live by him empowering you and showing his glory through you. And so this is really what John's trying to get us to see and what we begin tonight and we're going to be looking at throughout the rest of this year that these things were written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that in him you may, you may find life in his name. John invites you to find life where he did by believing that the word truly did become flesh, that God became one of us to be with us and, and that truth changes everything and then that he just delights to weave us into his story. Uh, I think the more you begin to understand that, the more you begin to orient your life around that, that God became a man so that we can know him, that my life matters and has a purpose. He wants to use us for his glory the more we begin to find life. So I want to close just by giving you some time to think and to reflect and pray and and to celebrate these truths. Josh, you can come back up and play another song, and we're going to be up here to talk with you and pray with you if you need that. There will be a few other people around. But my question for you is, have you found this kind of life? Do you understand uh, that Christ re- invites you into a relationship with him? Have you accepted the fact that, that your sin has separated you from God? And have you accepted that Jesus has offered to give you life through what he's done, not through what you're trying to do? Have you given your life back to him and told him that, that your life is meaningless without being a part of his story? And so you don't have to understand how that all works. You don't have to understand uh, and have all your questions answered. Faith means telling God that you trust him and know that, that, that he's for you and that, that he's going to work all things out. So let's celebrate life and thank God for coming to us and bringing us into a story that we may have life in him.